Hi, everyone. This is Avash Kalra, one of the founders of Radio Rounds. Before today's episode begins, I just want to tell all the students listening today about an exciting new contest during the month of December 2011. The American Medical Association's MedPlus Advantage Insurance Program is teaming up with Radio Rounds and Timmy Global Health to bring you Take a Trip with Timmy. The winner will spend two to three weeks working with Timmy medical teams or partner organizations in either Ecuador or Guatemala. You can learn more at takeatripwithtimmy.com, and we'll tell you some more details about this exciting contest later in today's episode. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. Coming up on today's show, Dr. Jonathan Edlow will tell us about his book, The Deadly Dinner Party, and how physicians often find themselves playing the role of a detective. Here's a preview. I think the mindset is, is really can be summed up in a word, which is curiosity. You need to be curious about what's going on. And the way to satisfy the curiosity is, is not just getting a lot of tests, but to ask a lot of questions because, you know, history is cheap. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take that long. And there's really no side effects to it. Again, that was doctor and author Jonathan Edlow, and we'll hear more from him and a whole lot more on Radio Rounds right now. Welcome to Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm Avash Kalra. And I'm Shami Das. And we're glad you could all join us today, whether you're listening on the web, on the radio, or via our iTunes podcast sometime in the future. We're looking forward to a great show today, Shami. And as an aside, it's great for me to be back here in the studio. Likewise, it's been a while, Avash, since we've both been here. Uh, you probably know which episode it was. I've forgotten since then, but I know it's been at least a few months. Yeah, and I've been away for the last few months, too. As a fourth-year medical student, a lot of students go to other schools, other cities to do away rotations, and now in the process of doing interviews for residency. So I'm, I've been out of town a lot, but it, it's definitely good to be back. Now, we're going to be talking about medical detective stories today, and appropriately, we gave all of you listeners a little clue to that in the opening of today's show. I think it's really an appropriate comparison. Physicians mm -hmm. and detectives certainly do have a lot in common. And after we hear from Dr. Edlow, Ovash and I will talk about our own experiences in medicine as medical students. And we've felt a little bit like detectives ourselves, like even Sherlock Holmes, perhaps. <laughs> that's, that's right, Shami. And perhaps the most famous detective of all time, at least in terms of classic literature, is Sherlock Holmes. And the creator of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, was himself a physician. And a lot of people, I don't think, are aware of that. But he went to medical school in Scotland at the University of Edinburgh in the late 1800s. And when he struggled financially as a physician, he turned to writing stories, which I think is sort of funny. I don't think it would happen in that way nowadays. But interestingly, he never finished his first story, which was called The Narrative of John Smith. And it was actually published for the first time this past summer of 2011. Sherlock Holmes was, in fact, his second creation. And he was modeled, in fact, after one of Doyle's professors in medical school. Um, Shami, one of my favorite Sherlock Holmes stories is 
entitled Silver Blaze, where Holmes solves the mystery of a murder of a horse trainer, and the mystery hinges on the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, and Holmes points out that the curious incident is that the dog did not bark and therefore must have recognized the intruder. That's a great story because it highlights the attention to detail that I'm sure Arthur Conan Doyle came to appreciate even during his own medical training and practice. So our guest today is Dr. Jonathan Edlow, who serves as a vice chair of emergency medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. He is also an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Edlow's book, The Deadly Dinner Party, tells 15 real-life medical detective stories. Avash started his conversation with Dr. Edlow by asking him to describe the idea behind his book, The Deadly Dinner Party. So The Deadly Dinner Party is is 15 real-life medical detective stories that I found in any one of a number of ways. And in each one of them, it really took some old-fashioned gumshoe detective work to figure out uh, either the diagnosis to the case or or how that disease ended up occurring. In the book, you write about a case of some unhealthy food. You write about uh, the baby in the bathwater. What what are some of your favorite stories in the book? Well, the baby in the bathwater was actually one of uh, the most interesting because of the, the sequence of events. It was about a toddler in uh, the Midwest who came down with a typical, you know, vomiting and diarrhea, gastroenteritis illness, which is really a dime a dozen for a pediatrician. But this young girl, for some reason, uh, the pediatrician got a stool culture, which was positive for this organism that, frankly, I had never heard of before I wrote the story. It's called Plesimonis shigalloides. And it's an organism that's really uniquely found in the tropics. And this little girl was a toddler. She had never, you know, been more than 15 or 20 miles from home. And this was in the middle of Missouri. So the, the story was about how she got this weird organism. In your experience as a clinician, when you hear these stories, when you see these cases, do you, do you feel like a detective at all? What parts of the process make you feel like a detective? Well, when I see these stories, I'm, frankly, I'm, I'm sort of approaching them as a journalist. But I take what I learn from these stories back to my practice. I practice emergency medicine. So, you know, a lot of patients, the diagnosis is very clear. Somebody comes in with a, an exposure to strep throat, and they have a sore throat and a fever and, you know, pus on their tonsils. You know, the diagnosis is pretty clear. But every once in a while, you'll you'll find a patient where it's really not clear, and you have to go digging into the history or digging into the physical exam. Frankly, more more often the history to really get the clues and to figure out, just like in a detective story, you know, what's the the red herring and really has nothing to do with anything, and what's that really pertinent clue that leads you to a diagnosis. You mentioned detective stories, and I know that your interest in detective stories led you to this interest in applying those concepts to medicine, things like, for example, the dog that didn't bark in Sherlock Holmes or the purloined letter in the case of Edgar Allan Poe. Can you comment on that a little bit? You know, when you're sitting there taking a history from a patient, they're really telling you a story. And, you know, nowadays with with all the technology that we have with CT scans and biomarkers and MRs and angiograms, uh, a lot of times, and I think this is an especially important lesson for medical students or, or trainees, a lot of times one's tempted to just get some tests 
kind of like shooting with a shotgun in the air and seeing what falls out of the sky. This is a much more targeted approach and, and teasing out little bits of the history to try to sort out what the diagnosis is or how the patient got the diagnosis. Sometimes to make a diagnosis in an individual case, sometimes to, uh, you know, prevent the next case of a given disease. And ex explain for our listeners what the blind man and the elephant means. Well, there's a parable that some people ascribe to India, others to Africa, some to China, where the blind men, different uh, blind men in this village would feel an elephant, and the one that felt its trunk would say that the elephant is like a tree. The one that felt its uh, tusk would say the elephant is like a spear. The one that felt its tail would say the elephant is like a rope. And, and so on. And then there's one wise man who sort of puts it all together and says that, you know, you're all wrong, uh, but you're all right at the same time in part. And I use that analogy in the story about the history of Lyme disease because there were some doctors at the submarine base at Groton, Connecticut, who were seeing patients, and this goes back to the mid-1970s. They were seeing patients with rashes, and they were pretty sure it was a bacterial infection because it presented early and with fever, and uh, they treat it with antibiotics. Whereas the folks from Yale were rheumatologists, and they were primarily focused on patients that were coming in with arthritis from what we now call Lyme disease, and that would occur you know, weeks to months later, and they were seeing a very different phase of the disease, and they believed it was viral and that it did not need antibiotics. Of course, it turns out that the, the docs from the submarine base in Groton were correct, it's the same thing as the blind men and the elephant. The dermatologists were seeing the early cutaneous manifestations, whereas the rheumatologists from Yale were seeing the later uh, arthritic manifestations. I'm wondering if you could comment on whether you think that the medical profession in general, medical students, young physicians, are losing this ability at all to work through these medical mysteries, these puzzling diagnostic dilemmas, uh, because of the over-reliance, perhaps, on technology, on uh, relying on imaging to diagnose, uh, things along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I'm 58, so I'm an older physician. And uh, I think if you speak to most older physicians, they probably would say the same thing, which is that I do think younger physicians tend to go straight for technology. And I can give you an example from a shift that I worked uh, last night. I worked 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., we had a woman with abdominal pain, and, you know, the, the inclination on the part of the junior resident was to get a CT scan, which probably would have made the diagnosis, but when you talk with this lady, she had had an episode of pain that was similar uh, several years before, and it was pancreatitis, and so getting some basic labs, we were able to make that diagnosis without the CT scan, and I think that the pendulum is swinging backwards partly for economic reasons because, you know, CT scans do cost some money and also because of radiation concerns that we really didn't think about or know about 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, and also partly just to get the woman through the emergency department quicker. So for lots of different reasons, we were able to, to avoid the CT scan, and I think that was a positive for this woman. But it was really partly the history and partly just stepping back and not automatically ordering a, a fancy, expensive test that, that we did it that way. Mm -hmm. Because nowadays it's almost become a punchline. Well, of course, they went through the ED, so they got a CAT scan. Yeah, no, we, we definitely um, 
as a specialty sort of get teased by other specialists about over-ordering CT scans. And, you know, there's, there's a, it's a two-edged sword. Uh, the CT scan helps in the diagnosis of so many things that we just didn't make the diagnoses as frequently 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. So the CT scan and the MR and CT NGO and all of those modalities are incredibly useful, and I certainly use them a lot. But you have to know when to use them and when you don't need to use them, because if you overuse them, aside from the, the radiation, there's the dye exposure and there's contrast reactions and kidney toxicity from the dye. There's a lot of downstream effects, including finding incidental findings that have nothing to do with anything, and those lead to more testing downstream. So the, the downstream unintended consequences of just sort of CTing everybody, uh, there's a lot of danger to that. I'm wondering now if you could walk us through one case in particular from the Deadly Dinner Party, just to give our listeners some idea about how exactly this mind of a physician works in solving a mystery. Specifically, I, I think a great example might be the case that you describe of a, of a small uh, woman who, who eats a lot more than her, her boyfriend who plays football. Yeah, so this was a case where a young woman, she was in college at the time, uh, was just eating a lot of food. Uh, she was going out with uh, her boyfriend who was a football player who was about twice her size, and they were sort of going fork for fork, and she was losing weight, and um, she was eating a lot more pound for pound than he was. She went off to go to spend a semester in Rome, and she had to have some blood work done in preparation for that trip. And the blood work showed that she had a uh, high lymphocyte count. So the differential white blood cell count showed a lymphocytosis. She got worked up for leukemia, and uh, ultimately nothing was really found, and she went off to Rome, but she wasn't feeling well. And it took uh, her, her brother, actually, was a medical student, and while listening to a lecture about uh, hyperthyroidism, thought that maybe she had that, and uh, he had her see an endocrinologist, and, and sure enough, she ended up having hyperthyroidism. Now, I'm simplifying the story a lot, but, um, you know, it's, it's not jumping to the first conclusion, which, which is easy. You know, in, in the parlance of modern medical education, you know, we talk about early diagnostic closure and anchoring bias and things like that. And it's human nature to sort of jump to the easy first diagnosis that you think of instead of, you know, being rational and ordering out a, a differential diagnosis and sorting through the various possibilities. And a lot of times, again, it is the history that does that. Had they had the history of the lymphocytosis and this voracious eating, you know, while losing weight, been put together, um, they might have come to the hyperthyroidism quicker. It's just a matter of putting the whole clinical picture together. I'm wondering, Dr. Edlow, if you still read mystery stories. I know you've mentioned as a child that you read Sherlock Holmes, Edgar Allan Poe. Do you still uh, read or, or perhaps even watch the TV shows that explore these similar themes? Yeah, I actually, uh, I've been re-studying French lately, so I've been trying to read in French, and there's a series of police, uh, kind of, a lot of them are murder mysteries, some of them are just mysteries, but the detective's last name is Maigret, and uh, so I've been reading those in French, actually, because they're very simple plots and very linear, and the vocabulary is relatively easy. So I've been reading those, uh, and they're fun, to sort of follow the plot, see if you can figure it out. 
And, uh, you know, most good authors will tell the story in a way where you don't figure it out until the end. And that's part of the writing where the journalistic piece of me comes in, where I really try to craft a story so that I'm giving out little bits of the story at a time. And, uh, you know, the reader hopefully doesn't figure it out till the end. Although I think that if uh, a lot of the students that listen to your radio show read The Deadly Dinner Party, hopefully they'll get some of them because they have a head start being medical students. Well, it certainly is fun to play along with those cases and also just for the general public to see the process of actually solving a mystery within medicine. I'm wondering, Dr. Edlow, are you, are you working on any other books, any literary projects that you have going on right now? Yeah, I'm collecting some more stories and hoping to put them together and sort of having a volume two of these because they're, they're really fun stories. Um, in addition to the stories, I generally, and these are, these are designed for the lay public, not for doctors, um, so I generally tell some medical history as well. And, for example, in the, the story about the hyperthyroidism, I tell a, a lot about the history of thyroid disease and thyroid surgery. And uh, there's some incredibly interesting anecdotes uh, that date back to, you know, the early 1900s. As a last question, Dr. Edlow, and again, appreciate you sharing some of the stories you've written about and commenting about this process of solving medical mysteries. As a last question, do you have advice for medical students uh, now learning about the process of going through a diagnosis, uh, a mindset perhaps that would be helpful for students as they enter residency and become physicians? Yeah, I think the mindset is, is really can be summed up in a word, which is curiosity. Um, you need to be curious about what's going on. And the way to satisfy the curiosity is, is not just getting a lot of tests, but to ask a lot of questions because, you know, history is cheap. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take that long. And there's really no side effects to it. So I would just encourage people to be curious and ask a lot of questions and then to step back and really try to see how things fit together and, and make a differential diagnosis and really try to figure out what's the best fit for all of the facts that you've just uncovered by the history and physical. And what you're describing, I think, is really a, a paradox that I've always enjoyed about medicine, that we are so focused on getting answers, and that, that is the ultimate goal. But to do that, really, you have to ask more and more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Edlow, I appreciate you coming on the show. Again, for our listeners, his latest book is entitled The Deadly Dinner Party and Other Medical Detective Stories. Dr. Edlow, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You're listening to Radio Rounds. I'm Avash Kalra, and that was our guest for today, Dr. Jonathan Edlow, author of The Deadly Dinner Party. Shami, you and I as medical students were probably not yet full-fledged detectives quite yet, but I think we've both had some experiences even as medical students in dealing with patients and feeling a little bit like a detective. What are some of your experiences in, in that regard? I think we do feel we are detectives because every time we go do that consult or we go see a new patient, our job is to come to a diagnosis or at least develop a list of differential diagnoses, that is, possible illnesses this patient might have. So we go in and we have to ask questions. I mean, they hammered into us from day one, you know, what are the questions? And it's not a matter of hitting down the whole list of questions. You can't just read the whole list of what could possibly be wrong with any person. You have to focus it on what this person came in with. And so I guess the skill or the challenge is developing the list of the right list of questions to ask when the patient comes in. So being able to ask the pertinent ones 
versus ignoring some of the things that might be inconsequential or not relevant to why they're here today. And sometimes, as Dr. Edlow said, not jumping to the first conclusion, you really have to dig deep and, like you said, ask those those right questions. You know, I had a patient recently on a rotation that I actually had not too far from where Dr. Edlow works. It was in a rotation in Boston. And the patient had pancreatitis, had been treated many times in the hospital for this condition. It turned out the patient also had something called adrenal insufficiency. Mm. And the interesting thing is that the symptoms of those two disorders are very similar. So as he kept being treated for pancreatitis, he still was getting sick at home, and uh, people couldn't quite figure out why until a lab value came back, incidentally, that clued our team in to uh, the actual diagnosis and what was underlying his symptoms uh, when he was discharged from the hospital. So it was very interesting to always keep in mind that sometimes patients can have two things going on, and so uh, you really have to use those detective skills and try and figure out. So so that was a really fun case that, uh, you know, we've, we felt like a, a detective team. Well, yeah. And, and as a medical student, we're primarily oriented towards finding that one problem that they come in with. And I'd hope that by the time we're residents, uh, done with medical school and, res- and in our first year of residency, we start to develop that skill of, okay, well, they yes, they have hypertension, but how can these other metabolic issues contribute to what they're going through? And teasing out the differences between subtle lab values that might be a little different. Mm-hmm. Shami, I know you had a patient recently as well who who was worked up for an infection in the hospital, and it took some detective work on on the part of you and your team to figure out the diagnosis. That's exactly right. This patient came in, it was during my internal medicine rotation, and he had an infection. So he had a white blood cell count that was elevated. He had fevers during the night, but we could not find the source of infection. And, you know, when you're a doctor, you try to find out, all right, there's only certain systems that the infection can be systemic in. And so we we did anything from oral swabs to doing a chest x-ray when he came in. We did a rectal exam to see if there's abscess. We looked everywhere for this infection, mm-hmm. and we couldn't find it. We cultured his blood. It didn't come back with anything positive. And then finally, one night, he went into respiratory failure. And the previous day, he had a clear chest uh, chest, chest x-ray. And so we did another chest x-ray, and there was a complete whiteout of the lungs. And so his lungs were just full of fluid and edema and inflammation. And so by then, we had a clue, all right, something's not right in the lungs. And it was, mm-hmm. it was overnight. It was, it was pretty impressive. And so we cultured the sputum to figure out what pathogen it could have been, and it turned out it was Legionnaire's disease. So he didn't have the typical presentation for Legionnaire's disease. He didn't have this long waxing and waning illness. It just hit all of a sudden. But, you know, this is where the lab testing, we did a full body CT, nothing was found. And kind of like what Dr. Edlow was saying is, you know, you do all these tests to try to find your diagnosis, but... In fact, you should be asking good questions to figure out exactly where this patient's been and what he's been in contact with. Mm -hmm. Shami, as medical students and young physicians, we're we're taught to ask questions. As he mentioned, history is cheap, and you get the history by asking questions. But a lot of our diagnostic procedures nowadays are expensive technology tests, laboratory values, imaging. We talked about the CT scans. What are your thoughts on the reliance of medical professionals on some of those tests? I have to preface this with the fact that I'm only a student, so I have yet to practice in medicine solo. So, however, from my observations, I've found that residents especially tend to rely more on tests because they're quick, mm-hmm. and they don't de- develop the differential until after they get some of the testing back. For example, whenever we do a consult with someone in the ER, we don't go and talk to them first. We review their lab testing. We review the CT scan that they invariably got. 
uh, when they came in to figure out what's wrong with them. And sometimes that can create somewhat of an anchoring bias, like Dr. Edlow mentioned. So you already have an idea of what you think it might be. And so you miss some of the other things that it could be by not broadening your differential and relying on these tests. Now, in their defense, the litigious nature of our society kind of dictates that you do certain tests to rule out things that could kill them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes we run these CT scans to make sure we're not missing anything that could later come back to bite us in the end. Shami, you mentioned the differential diagnosis. I think that that is a really important point to emphasize because especially as students, sometimes the most important thing we can do when someone presents, when a patient presents with a symptom, is come up with a differential diagnosis. It's actually more of a learning opportunity than treating the actual diagnosis because say someone comes in with chest pain, it's more important rather than just to assume, oh, this might be a heart attack, to think, oh, what else could this be? Could it be heartburn? Could it be a panic attack? Could it be a pneumonia? Uh, something along those lines. And what this reminds me of is another story. And, and you know, I like to talk about literature and some of the stories uh, in literature that can be applied to medicine. But uh, Charles Dickens, whom I think you might have heard of, wrote a book called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. And he actually never finished it. It was his last book. It was the one that he was working on before he died. And uh, this, this individual, Edwin Drood, he goes missing. He's presumed to, to have been murdered. And even though you don't know who actually murdered him, uh, the interesting part of it is coming up with the list and trying to work through the possibilities. And that's very, very similar to what we do in medicine. Yeah, you're right. It, it's almost like a whodunit. You know, you get the story, you get the details, you get the facts, you ask more questions and you figure out who the culprit is, or in our case, what the disease is or the disease process that is causing this patient's ailment. I think that's well said, Shami. And I think that as medical students, perhaps we're more like Sherlock Holmes assistant Watson than actual Sherlock Holmes. And perhaps we're working up to the Sherlock level at some point. So we'd like to thank again, Dr. Jonathan Edlow for joining us for today's show. Uh, again, his book is entitled The Deadly Dinner Party, available at bookstores nationwide. Next week on Radio Rounds, be sure to tune in as we'll talk about medical school admissions with a student member of the Admissions Committee here at the Wright State University Boonshaft School of Medicine. There are five to ten applicants that are exactly like you. Your same MCAT score, they've done your same experiences, they've got the same research and, and volunteered in the same ways. Why you? You have 30 seconds. Look forward to that next week on Radio Rounds. You can tune in every Sunday at noon Eastern Time on WWSU 106.9 and Sundays at midnight on WYSO 91.3 FM here in Dayton. And of course, you can always listen live on www.radiorounds.org or download our podcast sometime in the future. Also on our website, be sure to check out this week's Writing Rounds, where listeners like you write in with stories and opinions about medicine. You can contact our team at Radio Rounds via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information is on radiorounds.org, where you can now listen to all past episodes on demand. These podcasts are also available as free downloads on iTunes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. The American Medical Association's MedPlus Advantage Insurance Program is teaming up with Radio Rounds and Timmy Global Health to bring you Take a Trip with Timmy, an essay and video contest for interested students. 
The winner will spend two to three weeks working with Timmy Global Health medical teams and Timmy partner organizations in either Ecuador or Guatemala. As part of the prize package, the winning student will receive a free iPad 2 and digital underwater GPS camera. They'll also have an opportunity to blog each day about healthcare in the developing world while in their country. Submissions will be accepted in December 2011, and the winner will be selected and notified in early 2012. Stay tuned for more rules and details, and in the meantime, you can always check out more at www.takeatripwithtimmy.com. In addition, Radio Rounds is proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Applying to medical school? Learn about life at your choice of medical schools and programs from current and former students. Check out the SDN Medical School Feedback Database at studentdoctor.net. Today's episode was produced by Yojin Patel, and thanks again to our entire hardworking staff here at Radio Rounds. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshaft School of Medicine. Join us again next week or download our next podcast, and be sure to check out radiorounds.org for more information. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks for listening. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Avash Kalra. And I'm Shami Das. And one day, we'll, we'll be your doctors. doctors. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Rounds.